0: Well, hello, everyone. Um, welcome to That's So Second Millennium. It's Bill Schmidt here with my colleague, uh, Dr. Paul Geesting. We're at episode 39 of our exploration of the relationship between religion and science in many, many different uh, avenues. And of course, One of the avenues that's uh, very timely is that we're very much now entering the Christmas season. And, Paul, I think we have something today that is very appropriate uh, to that season and to the application of science and religion to our understanding of the Christmas message
1: yeah, you actually shot uh, this episode idea to me, and I'm glad that you did. Great. Uh, this episode, so, uh, so we're going to talk about the Star of Bethlehem, right? So a great, uh, a, a point of overlap between religion and astronomy. or right. potentially UFOs or God knows what, if you're uh, really <laughs> that crazy. But uh, right. so. But so what I'm going to try to do, uh, the, the approach I'd like to try to take is to is to actually take make this a little workshop on thinking for yourself about <clears throat> whether the Bible really means what our popular culture picture says that it means, whether we're not, I mean, especially in our sort of post-Protestant American culture or English culture, um, mm-hmm. maybe reading a little too much into a passage and demanding a little too much of it, but um, before we get all hot yeah. and bothered about arguing that the Bible and science are incompatible. Yeah, so, so we're gonna try to take this and take the perspective of you know, so this is going to be, you know, like I said, this is a toy exploration. what i what I would like to do is just to take you know the RSV English version and then look at the Vulgate because I do happen to know Latin, I don't know Greek. If you were going to be serious, you would look at a critical edition of the Greek of the text of Matthew. And figure out, try to figure out what does that text actually demand of us in terms mm. of what the magi actually saw, um, what what was actually going on there, according to the story, and whether it could be literally, literally true. Um, whether we need to take it non-literally, which we, I think we jump to that conclusion way too often. Yeah. I, I yeah, that's, that's a major, obviously, if you've listened to any of it number of episodes of this podcast <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. an argument i'm trying to press home but you have um well between the two of us we've dug up some uh, some catholic commentators you know recent contemporary catholic commentators um you found a very interesting um what was that what what, what was what what venue was father uh, long and after talking in that uh that audio file that you sent me
0: It's a fairly recently published book, maybe from the past couple of years, called The Mystery of the Magi, which uh, he describes as largely a book of history uh, and apologetics and a kind of detective history approach to the story of the Magi. And I did find it very interesting. I uh, heard uh, interviews with him on uh, EWTN. Uh, but uh, I, I liked what I saw of uh, the reading you had done in um, uh, one of the uh, Catholic newspapers.
1: Yeah, yeah, the National yeah. Catholic Register had uh, that was back in 2014. It was actually February of 2014, so a little you know after the fact. But um, Jimmy Akin, uh, uh, who does a blog I guess or did a blog for the National Catholic Register, was talking. I think it was in response to. Um, someone who had actually gone, you know, an atheist who's gone to the trouble of writing a book about how, you know, the star of Bethlehem could not have existed, which just seems like a kind of waste of time, really? <laughs> but he, really? he, he wrote some, he, he wrote some commentary. Uh, the main, the, the most helpful thing that he did, of course, is pull the uh, relevant sections of the revised standard version of the English Bible, uh, for me to uh, copy and paste into the liner notes for this uh, episode. So I'm, I'm definitely in his debt for that. Um, yeah. but, his, but, and I, you know, I sort of walked through this, um, the liner notes are really kind of me walking through this issue on my own. And then I went back and, you know, read some of his text and thought, you know, you know I, maybe I'm not completely off base here on, so, on some of these things. So, well, let's get, let's get down to brass tacks then. And we'll, we'll try to bring in those commentators uh, from time to time where, where it's relevant. So, so again, this is, and I'll say this, you know, at least a couple more times. This is a toy exploration. This is, a, you know, just sort of a worked example of reading the Bible and thinking for yourself just a little bit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like <laughs> <it. laughs> <laughs>
1: that. But, you know, it it raises the point that, um, you know, of course, we Americans are really bad about being, you know, monoglot. And that mm-hmm. really is a. um. It, it, it represents a drastic lack of perspective on it really is it's a handicap mm-hmm. yeah um you know it's the point that i can i can read latin i can read french i can sort of speak french and i am really grateful for even that much um mm. really you know i just you know that that period of my life in high school when i was discovering oh yeah you could do all of this differently couldn't you <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All of this grammar and stuff—it could all all be completely different. Um yeah. It's really funny. I, I look back and you know I, I you know way back in the day I, I liked to draw maps when I was a kid, and so uh-huh. I used maps of this fantasy world, and I liked you know placing and, and looking at the bizarre you know collections of uh, consonants and vowels that I used to make the place names for these maps. Um, they're hideous. they're they're, they're tremendously awful. <laughs> it's, wow it's uh you know since i once i started learning you know french and latin uh you know i, I think it got a little bit better I, I actually went back and revised some quite a few of those names from uh when i when i tried to write some stories about them but uh. in any case so that's so that's that's sort of an example you know at least learn spanish right at least learn Correct. french if we're you know if we're talking to someone that we're you know is young enough that we could influence how they're spending their uh um their 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 time and education by all means learn another language and certainly you know start your children on spanish as early as you possibly can i mean amen yes and if if you don't want to think of it if if you don't like thinking about it from the perspective of you know kindness and charity toward you know our hispanic neighbors it gives you the run of the whole western hemisphere there's a lot of interesting places you can go that if you know spanish that are a lot more comfortable and uh you know, a lot easier to make your, get your way around. Um, right, right. Anyway, okay, all right. Um, so so if we go back to the text of Matthew, so the star, the whole story of the Magi is basically contained in uh, Matthew chapter two, starts in verse one and goes all the way really to the beginning of verse 13. So, but really verses one to 12. So, okay. so then, the, so the star itself is actually not even mentioned in more than just a few of the verses. So the it makes its first appearance in verse two. So these magi appear, they just come to Jerusalem, and all they say is, "We have in the, uh, the RSV version, we have seen his star in the east. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Then that's, you know, even in English, that's a little ambiguous. We're, we were coming from the east, you know, they're magi from the east, we know that, that's not ambiguous in verse one, that's where they came from. But, right. you know, you could see the star in the eastern part of the sky, or you could be located east of Jerusalem when you see the star. Um, and in Latin, it's even more uh, ambiguous. So, uh, pardon me, my sort of uh, classical medieval hybrid Latin pronunciation. Vidimus uh, enim stellum eus in Oriente. All right. So that's you know, Oriental. That's where that comes from. Um the, uh, the adjective referring to the east but it also means rising right in its rising so that's a oriente that's it the present participle it's you know it is in the process of rising as it's rising we saw this star as it as it was rising we saw his star as it was rising so okay. I you know and again this is a toy exploration I'm going back to the latin the latin's not the Latin's not the original now it was translated by people who probably knew ancient Greek. Better than anyone alive today, um, because they could actually speak with people speaking that kind of Greek right. natively. Um, but whether or not ancient Greek has that same ambiguity, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously in English, east and rising are not the same thing. However, my money would be on the ambiguity being there in Greek as well. Mm. And of course, why is that there, right? What does east mean? It's where everything rises. That's right. So the sun rises in the east, the moon rises in the east, and every individual star rises in the east. Right. Which, if your uh, if your nighttime entertainment basically consists of watching the sky, um, rather than getting on Netflix, uh, mm-hmm. more familiar with that than <laughs> perhaps we are today. That's uh, right. That's you just watch that happen. You watch star after star after star rise all night. That's what they do. The only
0: entertainment they had back then was the STARS network. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs>
1: All right. Um so these people oh so 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 far so far we know, these people came from the east, somewhere east of Jerusalem. And you know, that could be as far as probably not further away than what's now Iran, or, you know, at that time the further parts of Persia, um, somewhere between there and Jerusalem. Or, you know, northern Saudi Arabia, something like that. Um, but the passage, you know, so we, we've seen a star on the East. I wonder, I wonder if we shouldn't really translate it. We have seen his star at its rising. And I believe I've, I've heard that translation before.
2: Mm-hmm. It,
1: that may actually be more to the point of what they were talking about. So, nice. okay. So this star so far, nothing, this is absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. Um, as, as father Long underlined, you know, astrology was, rampant it was everywhere the indians had astrology uh well i mean (laughs) the india indians the american indians the uh the chinese uh the egyptians the mesopotamians the romans the greeks uh the gauls i'm sure um every you know every little uh collection of people in africa probably had some sort of astrology looked at the sky and thought you know there's there's some significance to the motion of the planets the motion of the you know relative to the stars um, so the stars, of course, are fixed, right? That's that's the name, the fixed stars. Yeah. They're all in the same pattern. They stay in the same place relative to each other. We know now that that's not absolutely true. That over centuries and millennia they do move relative to each other in the sky uh, from our perspective, right. but that's awful slow, awfully, yes. awfully slow. Um, so if it was a star, so so Stella okay, is probably just meaning light in the sky, right? A single point yeah. of light in the sky, presumably. Okay. We don't, know, we don't know for certain whether that was a fixed star, which is what we've confined the word star to mean in, the, in these latter days. It could maybe have meant a planet. Um, right. It could have meant some other light in the sky. And, of course, the, the other thing is it could have been something temporary, a comet. Exactly. Or even a uh, or a nova or a supernova. So if uh-huh. we wade through those possibilities here. Okay, so the planets. And the sun and the moon are planets in ancient thought. They're really big ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're really big and really bright. Yeah. Uh, but, they, but they're all doing the same thing as those other littler lights. The Venus, the Venus light, the Jupiter light, the Mars light. They're all wandering around the sky. Um, and they move around the sky at different rates. And they have somewhat different behaviors. So the Venus light never gets very far from the sun. It's never at the opposite side of the sky from the sun. The mercury light is even more tightly constrained. It must be very close to the sun. It's never seen very far away from the sun. Um, and people knew this thousands and thousands of years ago, thousands of years before Christ was born. Yeah. Um, so the other, the other planets can move all the way around this sort of path. So where, we're, you know, where we are in central North America we look and there's this path. If you stand facing south and you look up about uh, 40, 45, 50 degrees from the horizon, there's a path. And it goes over to the east and over to the west. And the sun follows this path. It moves up and down a little bit. Um, well, it moves up and down a, a moderate extent. Um mm sticks to this path and the planets all stick to this path it's called the ecliptic they're always going to be found in that band you're never going to see a planet up near the north star that's that's just not going to happen that's that's never happened Mm. so that's they're they're confined to that part of the sky the that band where the sun moves so and of course there are events planets moving through different constellations um, that's a little trickier to you know, so so people knew the the path and the, the relationship of the brighter stars, you know. But it's, ever since people started to write, they knew this, you know, relationship and it started writing down, oh yeah, this this star, you know, arises at this time and these stars follow it and they create this pattern and it's this month of the year when they're in this part of the sky in the evening. So so right now in early or in mid really mid December, um mm-hmm. Orion is out. It's in the south east part of the sky in, you know, the early evening when I'm, you know, when I was out at 8 p.m. last night, you know, Orion was there. In fact, the, the the lower part of Orion had had just risen and hadn't gotten there on the horizon. And that's and that's true every year. All of those are fixed stars. They're always going to be in the same position at the same time of night on the same day of the year. And that changes day to day um, and it changes from day to day in a very predictable pattern. And they knew all of this. They, they were very, very aware of all of this. Yeah. And they, they knew what the relationship would be. So, so that creates this fixed background. The the planets wander across this background and that's pretty predictable, but it is, you know, it takes a lot more record keeping um, to get that down precisely. And of course they didn't have dreadfully precise instruments they could do you know naked eye observations and they could you know they could measure angles they could say put put their eye to a tube and have a plumb bob hanging from it and measure the angle at which they saw the star at a given point that would be about as advanced a measurement as they could take at that point and so you know the ptolemy system you know ptolemy is you know um an astronomer in the hellenistic world you know working in the vicinity of the time of Christ, a century before or after, uh-huh. this is all this is all contemporary information. Mesopotamians had been making these observations for century after century at this point. Um, so they knew about the planets and they knew fairly well where they would expect the planets. So the question is, um, did they? So they see the star that's rising and they decide, oh, this this means we should come to Jerusalem, and that's where. You know, you need to go into the sort of ancient culture study that Father Longenecker does to understand, to see if there's any evidence that we still have today as to why someone from east of Jerusalem would have come to Jerusalem to talk about this. So he talks about potentially a planet like Jupiter, Jupiter, the king of the planets, um, the brightest one that crosses the whole sky, I guess, um, would be uh, associated with kingship. And if it wanders into the constellation related to uh, you know the the jews the hebrew people yeah. example, maybe maybe pisces or what the greeks called pisces in certain cultures might have been associated with the jewish people you know that so that's a possibility that could have right. been okay we saw this and of course we've seen we saw it at its rising it means that you know at, at a certain time of night that, that constellation was rising, and oh, we see that Jupiter's now in it, which we sort of expected anyway, um, but we, we looked at the sky and confirmed it, which to this day I believe is a very important thing in actually in Muslim culture. Um, it's, it's all well and good to have a table saying that, yeah, we know that in the future this is going to be the day, um, but apparently it's a, I, I am told it's a thing of great importance still in Muslim culture. You must look for the actual astronomical phenomenon that Muhammad laid down. Um, to make sure that you're starting Ramadan or whatnot um, at the exact Uh, time. So
2: uh
1: that that probably is a cultural thing that you know descends from you know the ages before Islam. I see. So what is so what does the star? Okay. Um, it could be it could be any of a number of lights. You know, single light in the sky. It's probably not a conjunction of planets. You would think i mean uh, you couldn't rule that out because Mm -hmm. ancient models are pretty maddeningly vague um you couldn't rule out the idea that it was actually say a conjunction of jupiter and venus or something like that which of course we could go back and look at astronomical tables and see if there was a conjunction near that time in history um if we if we thought that a conjunction was really a likely solution to this problem Um, right it's probably not i i kind of suspect that it's not but uh, so in, in any case, that's all we're doing. We're doing a toy exploration here so we can go ahead and say, well, but that, that seems like the less likely thing to uh, explore. So let's go ahead and look the other way.
2: So we have all a single right.
1: light in the sky. We take Stella to mean that specifically, at least. Um, so it could have been I mean, we, we can exhaust the, <laughs> the number of places it could have been by saying it was either in Earth's atmosphere, in which case it's almost, you know, in the literal sense, a UFO of some kind. Yeah. Uh or it's somewhere in the solar system which means that it's, you know, it's moving relative to the fixed stars around its own orbit presumably. Um leaving aside any, you know, stranger interpretations like, you know, the the thing on that moon of Jupiter in, you know, 2001. Uh, watch that movie. Yes. Uh, maybe a yes, the Yes, space Odyssey and it's flying the Monolith. <laughs> We're going to leave that aside as well. Okay. <laughs> Although it, it brings back fun film memories. It. <laughs> um, or it's something outside the solar system. So that it's, you know, that that kind of... And outside the solar system, of course, is, is a lot of the universe, eh? So uh, that that pretty much exhausts it. That, that's pretty much all of it. That's everything yeah. that it's It's one of those three places. Um, so if the light's in the atmosphere, so that that would be rough from the perspective of verse 2, because we've seen his star in the east, or probably at its rising. And that sort of implies that it's doing the things that all the ordinary things in the sky, either in the solar system or outside it, are doing. It's rising in the east. So, again, we'll drop that possibility for now. It's not like... And this is the way we work in science, right? It's like, oh, this seems like the less likely thing for now. I don't... There's no way I can collect enough information to Definitively rule things out at early stages of an investigation. There's just no way, and this is the right. sort of thing where I only have a little bit of uh, evidence to work with. So I'm just going to try to make the best probabilistic judgment that I can. Okay, right. so let's let's discard that. So we're not talking about something in the atmosphere for the reasons specified. We're not talking about a planetary conjunction. Probably and and just to you know explore the other possibilities, we're not even going to talk about a single planet wandering into a given constellation like Father Longenecker talks about. That's presumably a possibility. Um, right. but let's let's assume that it's something that caught their attention because it was new, because it was something they simply didn't expect. Which would be yeah. say a comet. Or actually there are two other possibilities that I know of off the top of my head. Uh, one mm. of them is because I've subscribed to Sky and Telescope's email list and they, they were telling me about where you could see Vesta. And Vesta is an asteroid in the asteroid belt. It just barely gets bright enough to see with the naked eye. Yeah. So this was one of those times where it's a little chunk of rock, but it's a pretty bright chunk of rock out there in the asteroid belt. And even though it's not the absolute largest asteroid, it's bright enough that it's actually the one that can be seen with the naked eye ever um likewise uranus gets just barely bright enough to see from time to time so those are two you know so uranus is a planet but it was a planet whose behavior wasn't known um no one no one you know could track it long enough to you know to recognize it as a consistently visible planet i mean it's obviously at its brightest it's very dim and the same goes for vesta um or it could have been a comet, something that, you know, again, it orbits the sun, but it orbits the sun probably on some very weird, long orbit, um, and and very uh, a very elliptical orbit, right? A long, stretched out orbit most of the time, nearly all the time. Yeah. so, so all of those, the comets, Vesta, Uranus would move like the other planets move. They would move from night to night relative to the fixed stars. Right, so, okay, okay. so if, the, if it was inside the solar system, it would be moving relative to the fixed stars. If it was outside the solar system, of course, there's tons of things that could happen. Um, the most common of which maybe are uh, star explosions,
2: hmm.
1: which in the uh, the delightful uh, late medieval Latin of, um, you know, that our that earliest astronomy terms come from, uh, they're novae. They're new stars. And mm-hmm. they usually don't last very long. So they come, they brighten up into existence and then they dim out. Um, and, it's be, and it's because a star is exploding. And of course, ones that the brightness change is really drastic, we call wait for it, supernovae.
2: <laughs> ah,
1: right. Or not. So. They're just this just a relative term or in origin. It was just a term for the relative size of the explosion, the relative size of the brightness change. Hmm. So but any of those would be outside the solar system and they would be moving with the fixed stars. They would not be they would not be changing significantly over the course of a night. And there's you know, so there's a very good geometric reason for that. Right. So yeah. if you watch something move a degree across the sky, right? So if you you watch the full moon move a degree across the sky, well, the moon is only yay far from the Earth, and of course you know you to, it's we, we watch the moon move mostly because it's you know because the Earth is spinning, so it's a, it's a relative motion. But the moon right. moves relative to the fixed stars. So then when the moon has moved relative to the fixed stars a degree, we know that it's moved yay far in space because it's 300 and some, whatever it is, 186,000 miles away, 300 and some thousand kilometers away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can do the math and find out how far that is and find out that that's comfortably below the speed of light. Now, if you had a fixed star out there 10 light years away and watched it move a degree um, in however many you know however long the, the moon doesn't take actually all that long to move a degree across the sky let's well, suppose, suppose it did that in two or three hours well
2: mm-hmm. that would exceed
1: the speed of light ah <laughs> <Huh>, great <laughs> ten, 10 light years away from us uh that's not possible that, that would not be possible so if you see something moving that fast you know it's close to the earth because it, it just can't be happening yeah unless you know unless there was yes literally a miracle but we'll We'll reach for that explanation only if we're forced to, right? <laughs> right. We're, we're far from being forced to to uh, reach for that explanation because that's, the, just, that's the, not actually happening.
0: The church itself is uh, rightfully skeptical uh, in its investigations of reported miracles. Right,
1: right. Yeah. That's, that's why you get you know however many skeptical doctors to investigate a miracle before you start declaring it a miraculous healing. Right. That's that's that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so, so if we, if we consider that, so if if we got something in the solar system, it's moving relative to the fixed stars, and if it's outside the solar system, it's not. Okay. So, so that's, and we're probably dealing with one of those two, we think, given, you know, the verse two sounds like a very ordinary star doing very ordinary star things, i.e. rising in the east. And that's just what you would expect. So, so there we get to the really, the quirky, uh, line. I believe this is verse 9. So we have, the RSV says, they went their way, i.e. from Jerusalem. So they've been directed to Bethlehem. They've been directed to Bethlehem by people interpreting the text of the prophet Micah, right? Ah. Um, so, so that's not, you know, it's not like they're following the star. They're following where the, the local... Prophecy. The subject matter experts, as my friend yeah. uh, uh, right. would say, um, yes. they went to Jerusalem because, you know, they, they linked this to the king of Jew, the Jews somehow. OK, they made right. that, they made that connection on their own. But as far as like actually going to find him, they're like, OK, well, we need to go to Jerusalem and, you know, find the Jewish folks and figure out from them where we would expect a king to be born.
0: And indeed uh, Herod would be the subject expert on who is gonna be the new king of
1: well, uh, exactly. the Jews, yeah, right? Yeah, so they wandered. You know, they probably checked with Herod first, like, hey, is your wife pregnant? Has she just given birth? <laughs> right. Felicitations. Oh, no? Oh, okay. Well. All right then. Well, this is why we're here. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs>
1: we Herod have these gifts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this sounds like another little peasant revolt I'm going to have to uh, stamp out here. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So so they went their way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is, I think, uh, Jimmy Akin says it's six miles. I I got on uh, Google Maps and it said it was, you know, a two and a half hour walk or something like that from, I think, the the point I picked was the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, you know, adjacent to Jerusalem. Um, I see. Out to Bethlehem, so it's a, it's it's something like that length of time, three hours, let's say. Maybe the road's not as good um, right. at that time. So they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen, you know, lo, some 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 word of exc- exclamation which Matthew likes a lot. Right. He forces you to use some English word like lo or behold quite a bit. Right. Um, yes. Uh, Matthew is very good at uh, at. at pausing and recognizing the awe of the situation. Um, uh. The star which they had seen in the east, okay, with all the ambig- ambiguity we just talked about, went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. So that's that's our RSV version, which is, you know, probably as broadly accepted in English Bible as there is at this point in history. So the Vulgate says, "Abierunt et eca stella quam Viderant in Oriente ante eos usque Starat supra ubi erat puer. Okay, so that says okay, so the abbeys they went their way. Gotcha. Et Eka, Eka is the Latin for "lo" or "behold" or "wow" or you uh-huh. know. Um, Stella, the star which they had seen. Stella quam viderant. Okay, so far so good. In Oriente. And it's rising again. Maybe rather than it's in the east. All right, so far so good. Mm-hmm. Antecheta eos. Okay, so it went before them. Or that actually also means uh, the anticheto, The verb there can mean it can also mean that it was greater in prestige. <laughs> Probably not mm-hmm. what we're talking about. We seem to be talking about a physical motion here. Um, but that's but that's worth uh, knowing that at least in the Latin. We have that ambiguity. It was more preeminent than they were. Uh, maybe that doesn't mean much, but it's 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 there. It's it's uh it's there for for us to to think about. Yeah. So yeah. Then, then we have actually the most uh, difficult phrase: "Usque dum veniens starat supra, ubi erat puer is where the child was." Okay. So so we have that sticky "Usque dum veniens." Starat Supra. Okay, so I actually stuck that into a translator app on my phone, and I got back until it stopped over, which I suspect this translator app has been trained on. Uh-huh. Among other things, the Vulgate of, of Matthew even said this is the right answer. That's just a suspicion. I don't know that for sure. But uh-huh. that, leaves, that looks like, to me, like it leaves words out. So Usque Doom. That seems to be more wordy than we really need to convey the sense of until. Usque by itself would be until or up to the point where by itself, so far as I know. So the doom may be waiting there for us to do something else with. But the translation but the, the, the translator app doesn't seem to do anything with it. They just it apparently has just shoved those two words together. <laughs> and then it drops it seems to drop the word, then he ends altogether which is the participle for coming. So coming, approaching, something like that. It seems to drop that word altogether. Uh, And it's singular. It's not the magi that are coming. That would be venientes or something like that. So veniens is singular. That means the star is coming. Um, And then staret, all right, so that's either it stops, which is how the translator rendered it and how the RSV renders it, or could also mean stands, mm-hmm. and then supra. Yes. The, okay, that's that's easy. Um, okay. Supra ubi era puer above the place where he was, where above the place where the little boy was. Okay, so far so good. So mm-hmm. I would take that Latin, you know, with all the all the things I've just discussed. I would take that Latin, and I would probably translate it like this: They went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen either in the east or, I like, at its rising, was going before them, about Aos, until, as it was coming on or approaching them, it stood over the place where the child was. I would prefer to translate the Latin like that. Again, one, once more, we're, we're working with the Latin because I don't know Greek. Uh, so this is this is just an example of reasons for being curious whether the English is completely, you know, exhausts the realm of possibilities for meaning for that phrase. Hint, it never does. (laughs) Modern English is much more specific than any ancient language. So, yeah, so so to summarize what I've changed, I've stuck in as to translate dumb and I've put in, actually i put in an understood it was or asset, which Latin actually does that all the time to put in a form of the verb to be or, or, or rather to just drop it and leave the reader to imply it that actually happens in latin a lot uh-huh. so i'm saying that that those words that were dropped dum veniet i'm suggesting that maybe they mean something like as it was approaching them or as it was coming on and i and i and i switched the word staret to mean not to stop but to actually to be standing and of course this is sort of the way Jimmy Aiken interprets it too if you go back and look at his write-up for the National Catholic Register
0: I see, yeah. that makes sense because stars generally from our perspective do indeed stand
1: for a long time yeah, yeah exactly yeah. So anyway, but, th- but this is still, no matter how you translate it even, even in my translation this is the part that's a little tricky because, you know, stars, planets, comets whether inside the uh, solar system or outside it any, no astronomical object, well, almost never is an astronomical object moving fast enough to be able to say it went before them or it stopped or it came to rest in a specific place. That's yeah. kind of curious. Uh, yeah. That does sound like something in Earth's atmosphere, which right. you know, perhaps, perhaps we were talking about a meteorite, but that's, you know, to be able to see an object for so long. And then to be able to see it move through Earth's atmosphere, well, if it was just an asteroid, that would have been a really big asteroid because they've, really? been seeing it. they've been seeing it for enough days to talk to each other, to go to Jerusalem, ask around, and then come out here to Bethlehem at night. That would have been a large asteroid. Yeah. That would have been like Armageddon. There would be Indeed. a lot more records in human history <laughs> this asteroid. Good point. Right. <laughs> um. So that's probably not what was going on. We're going to try to interpret it still as something above Earth's atmosphere. So for all the reasons we talked about, you know, the the limitations of it can't be too far away. Otherwise, it would be exceeding the speed of light. I think you could. So so the picture that I'm sort of coming up with is this. So we can picture a comet and a comet, you know, it gets brighter as it gets closer to the sun. You know, when it's far away from the sun, it's invisible in most cases, nearly all cases. Um, So if you had a comet that was positioned right, it could reach its closest point to the sun and actually, by happenstance, be pretty close to the Earth. Mm. And if it's traveling in the right direction and it was just that close, you might see it moving fast enough to notice a difference in its position over the course of a few hours' walk. If it's moving really fast um, and it's... And it's very close to the Earth, possibly maybe even closer than the moon, which is, you know, sort of a yardstick for, oh, wow, that one got close. All uh, right. I mean, we certainly have asteroids that cross between the Earth and the moon. That's still, you know, <laughs> the Earth is, you know, what, what is it, four or 7,000? miles or kilometers in radius and then you know the distance to the moon is 186,000 miles so there's a lot of volume there for asteroids to cross through without actually hitting here yeah so if 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 we make that supposition which is still completely completely within the realm of things that could happen in nature um so we we picture a comet it might be moving close enough to earth and if it's moving in the right direction uh, you might be able to see it well i mean if it's close enough to earth you'd be able to see it moving and potentially these magi so now we picture these magi out at night walking from jerusalem to bethlehem which is south. Right. They're heading basically a little west of south mm-hmm. and so they might see this thing and if it was moving let's say it was moving north because at this point you know it's it's Comets can be on all sorts of strange orbits they don't have to they don't have to stay in the ecliptic. A planet would never move north to south. Um, if it did it was like doing it a small amount for a single night as it's you know as it's reaching a, a particular critical point in its orbit and that would only be apparent. A comet could really be moving south to north I see. yeah because it might be coming at, it might be coming in at right angles to the rest of the planets right. that's, that's possible that happens from time to time actually as far as i know it happens reasonably frequently hmm. um so then we take that we take that word and and we soften it a bit even further just just to say it was in front of them and it was moving i think the word will bear that much sort of loosening of its meaning cloud so if we okay. have so that sort of brings this final picture we've got a comet it's near its closest because of its, the direction of its orbit, it uh, it is appearing to move north in the sky and moving north fast enough to notice so that as you take a two- or three-hour walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, you see it move, and perhaps you see it moving toward you, which explains the Venians. It was in motion, and it was coming on. It was coming toward them. It was approaching them. And it happens to make it to straight overhead as they're getting to Bethlehem. Which is a pretty small place. Even today, it's a pretty small place. At that time, it was a really small place. Indeed. Uh, Six or twelve or fifteen houses. I don't even know. They don't have to ask around just to find the house where there's this new kid. Who, you know, if Luke is to be believed, was born in a stable because there were way too many people in town a month ago or however long ago it was.
2: Yeah.
1: So, so that's a perfectly natural phenomenon that would seem to fit all the requirements at least of the latin text with the caveat that the english text may be being a bit more specific and pushing it off in the direction of things that aren't astronomically likely in places so it's just kind of a big cautionary tale (laughs) really (laughs) yeah about what it means to take the bible literally I mean, I think there are people who believe that the King James version of the Bible is actually divinely uh, inspired. Right. That's not the Catholic view. <laughs> oh,
0: no, no, that's right. Yeah. Father Langenaker makes that
1: point. Right. right. Um, and that's probably for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. So. So and, and a last sort of uh, pondering about this, you know, I'm not aware, you know, and this is, again, where you would want to go talk to people who make a study of records you know ancient astronomical records um and i think father longenecker even alluded to perhaps there are records of a comet or something um something some transient phenomenon in the sky in chinese or indian yes that's right yeah yeah Yeah. so they might have noticed this thing um but it may not have been all that bright i mean certainly it doesn't seem to be something that people thought oh wow it's this massive bright phenomenon it's either something tremendously good or something tremendously bad. Um, <sighs> so far as I know, you know, Mediterranean history, aside from aside from Matthew, you know, Luke doesn't even mention it. Um, Luke, who, Luke, who has his own infancy narrative, doesn't even mention it. Um, it it kind of passed by without a whole lot of comment. So it was it was almost mm-hmm. like it was the Magi's little secret, All which right. is you know itself a kind of interesting theological point that. Yeah, looking for the still small sign from God, um, right? And came to came to Bethlehem and had the chance to meet the Christ child.
0: Yes, yes. So so one taking note uh, in a special way, yes. Yeah, have to be uh, looking out for looking out for the Lord to uh, to find him sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. But go on. Oh, I was just, I mean, you know, so just one last caveat, you know, obviously this is not the way you would approach, well, it's, it's, in a sense it's the way you would approach, but you would approach the actual critical, the best text we have of Matthew, and you would approach it with the knowledge that there are all these variant readings of these lines of Matthew in the Greek, in the actual right. manuscript. paying attention to the distance in time between, you know, the the time that Matthew was actually probably written down and our earliest surviving copies of it, since it was after all a contraband book for centuries. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so that you know, all of that would need to be taken into account. All of the cultural, you know, stuff about peoples in the Middle East and their astrology and whether and how that would have possibly gotten an astronomical phenomenon linked to the advent of a king of the Jews, you would want to take that into account. But you know, even if you're not prepared to do all of that, as long as you've got a little bit of perspective, <laughs> right. you know, and willing to look at least a little bit outside your own, you know, comfort zone, you know, there's there's, there's still something worth, you know, worth thinking about. There, there, right. there's, some, there's, there, there's lessons that you can draw that are probably helpful in terms of your perspective on the issue. That. Yeah you know, in in particular, of course, that there's not exactly any reason in the text of Matthew to throw it out of court and say, "Well, that was ridiculous." and you know for for whatever reason you would criticize it from a scientific or historical perspective, um, probably that's probably unnecessary, but mm-hmm. that's probably overstated.
0: yeah, interesting, huh and. Uh... So when you say that um, this was a uh, kind of workshop on thinking, it really does fit in very well with the whole arc of our uh, podcast in that, um, you know, uh, it's a lesson in never downplaying either the science or the religion uh, um, area of of reasoning, Uh, respect both. And treat it indeed as a delightful kind of detective novel uh, in pursuit of a single, single integrated truth.
1: Um, yeah. Am I right? Yeah, and, and to recognize all the points in the process where you made choices. I mean, so we made several choices. You know, right. we Right. Through here. Um, well, this I think this seems less likely, but you know maybe I'm not making the right judgment there. Maybe there's information. Yeah maybe there are reasons, better reasons to believe that the specific conjunction was going on. And that was actually the path we should have gone down and explored. Yes. Yeah. But then of course, you know, demand that we do different things, trying to uh, translate the line about the star stopping or standing over the place where the child was, which is, which is the really difficult line. Interesting. A difficult line that yeah. sort of suggests something, uh, astronomically strange um although again probably not impossible but again with with a conjunction you would be trying to approach it in a different you know in a different way and i think there are difficulties there that that think that's uh thinking of it as a comet might not be might not be so difficult
0: right right um, the other thing i i like about this process of of thinking is that um, there's room in it for the wonder that uh, humans instinctively feel about this as a uh, spiritual event uh, and uh, the, uh, the thought of it as a, a scientific event. And it, it's kind of the Catholic imagination. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, opening our minds to all the different possibilities because realizing that God really does act in all of these variables that you've you've mentioned. God could be acting in, in any any one of them and it really just enlivens our imagination to think, wow, you know uh, uh, there's a lot of possibilities here and just because uh, the uh, the myths uh, of um, we three kings of Orient are, have taken over our popular culture it doesn't <laughs> right. mean right it doesn't yeah, it doesn't
1: Which the argument that that uh, a lot of that actually comes from uh, um um like ooh, yeah. ow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> better not sing
1: that one no it's a, no it's a, yeah.
0: and he would say himself delighted in singing this song you know uh but uh, yes it's a, it's a good cautionary note but also a celebratory note of the thinking process. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I, I will, uh, I will be more thoughtful than ever. Uh, say if I wind up singing that, uh, singing that song on Christmas day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, unless I've had a lot of, uh, spiked
1: eggnog. If you really wanted to go there, we could undergo a textual analysis of, you know, we three Kings. Um, oh my goodness. That could be the next episode. <laughs> yeah, it could be another episode. Yeah, we could, we could throw that into the bonus episode there. Do we? Do we, do we really need to throw out this perfectly nice old Christmas carol? Um, how should we? Uh, how could we? Uh, refine our understanding of it so that we don't have to uh, throw out a perfectly good Christmas carol.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's one of the other uh, points of our uh, podcast, is not it? Uh, be careful before you throw anything completely out. There's always oh, things exactly. to be Yeah. Yeah. That's, definitely, yes.
1: that's definitely a point. I mean, and, and to think that these magi and, you know, the people who shaped the intellectual culture that they lived in, they weren't stupid either. Right. I mean, that, that, that's a modern conceit that, well, I mean, we, we all know so much better now and we're, you know, we're superior people and we have, you know, our attitudes are by definition superior about, I mean, everything, astronomy, sexuality, you name it.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's what's the joy, uh, one of the joys of the Christmas season. In some sense, everything is boiled down, not dumbed down by any means, uh, at least in its best sense. Uh, our goal is to not dumb down, but to boil down into the simple truths, the the wonder of it all, uh, the the Christmas story and all of these extra uh, amplifications are are beautiful, but uh, deserve uh, the application of our faith and reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that a fair is that a fair way to say it?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and, and to, to enjoy getting into the details sometimes. Yeah,
2: sometimes
1: exactly. that, you know, We yeah yeah <laughs> we could go I on so many themes of this you know that, that we hope to bring out in the podcast I think um of you know in in this case. You know, don't be afraid to tangle with at least some of the details. No, you're not going to be able to deal with all of them, but right. they're all, you know, we we do so much. Well, you know, we we flop from one side to the other. Either, oh, uh, you know, the answer is exactly this, and there's no more thinking to be done about it, or you know, or we go all loose and floppy, and well, you know, your truth is as good as my truth. Well, right. What you see is as good as what I see, yes. I mean, you're providing data and I'm providing data. And what's going on in your mind is something that's actually going on. But there's also, you know, there's also a reality that encompasses all of that. And that's consistent. There is a self-consistency to it. There is a, you know, there is a reality that this is all part of. And that's if, we, right. if we're not afraid of the thinking, we'll find more of it. we'll we'll actually see where the rump of the elephant connects around to the belly of the elephant
0: exactly right (laughs) yes yeah well I guess it's um, uh, we anticipate this podcast hosting on Christmas Eve uh, we should let our uh, uh, listeners go forth now and uh, not dwell too much on this uh, at all perhaps at least until the day after Christmas let them enjoy the reality Uh, Of the Christmas that's uh, that's known in their own family and in their own faith.
1: That's right. Well, well, of course, this is a great, this is an Epiphany episode anyway. So, uh, you know, the later the later you download it within reason, the better, people. So. uh, Oh, very good, very good. If you're listening to this on January sixth, congratulations, you're doing it exactly right. Oh, perfect.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. uh, Here's to more Epiphanies of all sorts in the in the year 2019.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to doing sort of a, an opening of the year episode here soon about where we uh, where we hope to go in the year to come.
0: Oh, very good. Yes, yes, just stay with us, listeners, uh, and thank you for a wonderful 2018.